Hi, this is Claire and this is the Art of Life podcast. Welcome, you're very welcome here. I'm going to speak openly and freely in this podcast around the subject of our core, our true nature. Um, Sheila Nagig and Sean Nagig and I'm going to speak about revelations and what's really going on in the world right now. Um, so <laughs> that's quite a lot to fit into a podcast and I want to explore these um, subjects in the way I usually explore them uh, which is very openly and in fact I probably shouldn't have put a label at the beginning because that already feels like oh no I've got to try and remember to mention these things <laughs> and um, I tend to work very in very much in the deep intuitive very much in the holistic and from my own core like what does the universe want to express through me today and um, that's how I paint that's how I live that's how I move about during the day I, I don't work to a structure and although structure can be very useful we most certainly live in a time where structures are being seen for what they are um, and that actually nature has a structure, nature will naturally, both within us and within our collective behaviours, will naturally allow a structure only in the sense that it's carrying in the most efficient way what it's carrying. It's allowing to express in a certain way, like a tree creating leaves and flowers and nuts or fruits, dropping the seed and doing the same again in our human consciousness there is a natural structure obviously we have a, a bones we have cells we have muscles and tendons and veins but they're they're only they're all soft and malleable and they're all changing infinitely changing in fact every cell in the human body has changed at least every seven years if not more often I think and um, so essentially we are a regenerating organism that is perpetually in a state of newness going moving into a state of newness we've very much been trained into the conditioning of of atrophy and wearing down and running out of energy and so on but this is this is what I want to discuss here. That is not our true nature. We as not being a rooted tree, not being a stone, not being an animal, perhaps struggling tooth and nail to survive and get the calories that it needs every day. We are something beyond that because we have the engine of consciousness and being able to place and manipulate our attention in a way that other animals and creatures and plants have a different form of but they don't have the dynamic expansiveness that we have and I want to speak to that here um, and I, I want to try and get straight to the core of it it's very difficult to really name what our true nature is it's a very a very challenging thing to do because the majority of what we accept as normal, mainstream, acceptable um, things that have been normalised 
are, for the major part, completely against our nature and completely distorted versions of health, education, religion, spirituality, um, money structures, resources, moving around the world, uh, hierarchies, and um, we're the majority of us, although there is a huge awakening consciousness around this, the majority of us are very so in the rigidity of all these structures and forms that we're absolutely convinced a this is how things have to be and b that they will always be like this and those are very very strong rigid thoughts very strong rigid thoughts they're much more of the masculine than the feminine they're much more of the in terms of yin yang balance the the hardness and the penetrative and the controlling and the catching and the hunting and the grasping are not always male characteristics, but they're very much of the masculine action and have been developed over millennia to be the accepted norm of the way the masculine expresses in the world. And in many ways, that's a perversion of the masculine. It's it's taking the masculine to its nth, whatever degree of masculinity and creating a kind of distortion, like an exaggerated caricature of a masculine in the same way that the feminine has become something that's so profoundly passive that it's turned inside out, essentially, and like is completely useless and doesn't know its own state because it's so convinced that the the inside out state is the proper state completely flawed completely dysfunctional um completely norm complete normalization of problems and symptoms that <clears throat> and pain and suffering that the system profits from like we actually pay the system to make us sick and be in pain and suffer and we love it. We fucking love it. We we pay and pay into it. And we're surprised when it gets worse. So what I'd like to try and talk about is how how do we turn ourselves back it the right way around again? How do we turn ourselves from what seems like inside out? And we actually get more sensitive, more sentient, more in connection with everything, more symbiotic, more feeling everything that's happening and knowing everything that's happening and being conscious of it. And how do we um, pull back on our on our structures and rigidity and soften our rigidity? Uh, not women, but men, like all of us. How do we all step out the caricatures that we've been conditioned into into acting out and find what is behind all that <clears throat> and yeah there there are such simple ways such simple ways to discovering our true nature and i've been really interested lately in having having had a a very solitary painting practice for at least 35 years, starting as a teenager in my bedroom and um, doing incredibly detailed drawings of tiny little leaves and flowers 
through all the long winter evenings, the dark evenings with just a, a little light bulb, a little spotlight on a on a flower and just drawing and drawing and drawing and just observing and drawing nature, observing and drawing, observing and drawing and building up this discipline, <clears throat> this freedom of immersing myself in in nature, even though I'm inside in the warm in the middle of winter, but immersing myself in this tiny detail, just watching and watching and watching. And I noticed at that early age, even as a very troubled teenager, um, with a, a lot of impacted trauma already in my, my own body, mind and spirit, I remember noticing very, very quickly that I feel good when I'm drawing. Something feels right. Something's being corrected. And because of that, I feel like I can cope with the world. I can actually manage to go to school and be tortured by adults and children alike there. And I can... I can get through it because I know that there's something more to all of this and it doesn't matter what they're teaching me or trying to teach me or it doesn't matter if they're shouting at me or punching me or forcing me to do humiliating things in PE and <laughs> and so on, physical education, in inverted commas. Ugh. So um, I knew that a drawing discipline wasn't doing something just in my mind, but it was doing something in my in my energy too, that it was doing something in my body and the energy that flows through my body. I could tell just by drawing, by concentrating. I wasn't concentrating the mind, I was concentrating the whole being. <clears throat> and that was something that, that liberated at least a little space inside of me that I didn't feel, I didn't fall into complete chaos. I didn't fall into absolute overwhelm or war with the world and hatred of what was going on around me or the people who were perpetuating the things around me. So zooming forward to um, 30 plus years later, as a, an adult, um, a mature woman, I um, have this practice that has developed from that that knowing, the knowing of something inside of me being activated and kept activated and being a safe space, um, that safe space has expanded outwards and outwards until I radiate this safe space wherever I go. And it protects me and it also energises me and... The energizing comes from a very specific place in my being, which is where um, where the Sheila and Sean and the gigs come in. Um, how to sum this all up? This is a bit like in a, in one of these big communities that I used to be part of, an online community. Um, we were discussing inalienable rights and what's inherently right and wrong and how we have to know the difference, and most of us don't know the difference. Um, again, look into Mark Passio's work. He has a very long uh, lecture online somewhere, you'll find it, uh, around natural law and the real law of attraction. And he's just brought out a documentary too, which is really great, about the science of, of the natural law. But yeah, talking about inalienable rights, 
um, it's very hard to explain to the average living being in Western culture or in any modern culture in this world or even in a poor culture in the world um, or a so-called developing country or even an Aboriginal country possibly, a culture possibly. It's hard to explain what is right and what is wrong because we have accepted such advanced forms of suppression on our freedoms and not just our freedom like we think of freedom maybe to move or express ourselves but our freedom to be well to be healthy to live in a way and move about naturally in our everyday without the shackles of a schedule a deadline having to do menial tasks and concentrate all of our attention on a menial task that is not enjoyable or fruitful for us personally and in fact be giving all of our sweat equity, all of our intelligence, all of our creative property, all of our attention and beingness, giving that away, gifting it away, coerced into being coerced into giving it away in order to get these pathetic fucking crumbs so that we can then buy pathetic echoes of what we really want when we're buying stuff. You know, we don't really want this, this pair of fancy shoes that are all shiny and glittery and have heels on them that stop us from walking properly and hurt our posture and completely disempower us. We don't want shiny objects to stick on our fingers or in our ears we don't want fatty, overly perverted food from animals that have been really unhappy and plants that are, that are in the wrong place at the wrong time and harvested too quickly and travelling great distances around the world. We don't need or want these things. We don't need a different car, another car. We don't need to be polluting or speeding up or distracting ourselves more and yet all our money can buy are those things the money our money can't really buy us our connection with the tree outside our house our enjoyment of picking the nuts off the ground and grinding them at home into a beautiful nut butter and though we might in our lifetime get more comfortable sort of and more happy with our choice of clothes, sort of, and more adapted to our car or our routine. Nevertheless, we all know that there's something profoundly lacking in what we're taking from the world versus what we're giving. And because what we're taking and what we're giving are so perverted and so distorted in respect to what the natural give and take, the natural gifting and receiving of gifts might be or wants to be in the world, in the universe. Because it's so distorted, this engine of relationship with the world eventually starts to, to just wear us out. It's designed to wear us out. And it's designed to leave us feeling depleted and hopeless and helpless. And it could be the opposite of that. It could be that life revs us up and energises us and 
makes us feel better and better all the time and gets us into increasing blissful, expansive realms of connectedness and interconnectedness and helpfulness and finding of solutions and transformation of symptoms and so on. Um, so, where do we begin in going in that other direction, <laughs> into the expansive direction? Yeah, back to, back to the drawing board, back to the paper and pencil and observing nature. And after a, a certain point in my lifetime as an artist, um, drawing and painting, I very quickly got to the point where I realised um, it, it was very rewarding to my ego to be able to draw things very accurately and then show them to people and get applause or prizes or getting into an art school. Um, it was, you know, that I had a great reputation. It was very rewarding on one level, but on another level, it was it was meaningless and empty because the real treasure that I was finding and, and getting access to from my original practice, I was doing the original practice out with the school, out with the family even, in this sacred space that I was creating myself, this absolutely sacred, secure space, ensconced in my bedroom in the middle of winter, just me and nature and my hand and the pencil. And I was building up an engine. I was building up a, a circle of energetic... I wasn't getting tired. I wasn't feeling exhausted and struggling to concentrate. I was able to concentrate more and more for longer periods and felt more and more perfection of what I was doing. But the perfection wasn't something to give to the world outside for coin or to give for praise or applause. The perfection was something that was healing within me, something that was becoming whole and freer within me. And I really realised beyond a certain point that um, the satisfaction of creating something that looked exactly like something else wasn't the point at all. Like that was kind of irrelevant in a way. And in fact, there was something deeper that wanted to come out once I'd got got it out my system, drawing very detailed things in nature and from nature and getting applause for it. There was, I, I wanted to keep going. There was more. There was much more than that. And art school kind of bombed or <laughs> wasn't helping me find that. And the workplace after art school wasn't helping me find that either. And joining cooperatives or working on the land even for somebody else wasn't helping with that either so I kept digging and I kept coming back to it and kept dealing with the trauma that I was essentially experiencing in the world the trauma of separation of time poverty of having to do without because I didn't have the physical stamina or the ability to push myself into a role to earn lots of money to pay rent, to heat the home, etc., etc. I just couldn't do that. I simply could not do that. It was too away from my nature and it felt too wrong. And so I felt myself getting squeezed out, all squeezed out of all these places. Um, you know, I didn't fit in in the city, I didn't fit in in the country, I didn't fit in in small cooperatives or 
farms or communes or spiritual communities or anywhere because I didn't want to get into a role that wasn't me actually giving my sweat equity into something in a way that was building the energy and growing the energy rather than depleting it. And although it took me about 30 plus years <laughs> to recognise that the, the only way I can do this for myself is to is to create my own little queendom, kingdom, queendom and safe house and and work away at it within myself. Once I began doing that, once I bought my own home for very little amount of money in a medieval quarter because it was abandoned and, and it was all um, neglected and needed a lot of work on it, once I got myself that little container, then I could start building up this, like this completely mysterious, invisible force that was very necessary if I was going to even, not even before I even thought about thriving, I, I just wanted to survive the world. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to not die of starvation, not die of the cold in the winter, not die of the pain that my body was racked with because I was barely able to function physically in the world I just wanted to get to a point where I actually could live so that was my first goal managed to get to that once I got my container and had this safe space around me that even if the culture was challenging it was hard to learn a new language again it was hard to live abroad without my family or friends it was hard to start from scratch all over again with my art career and then get censored and then get um, oppressed in all these other ways. Um, but I knew that I had the basics right. I had this safe home where if I wanted to, I could stand on my head all day or walk about in the nude or scream and shout if I wanted to or dance and sing or do cartwheels or handstands or whatever I wanted to do. I could do what I wanted to. And I could find my way back into my nature again, a bit like an expansion of this discipline of sitting and drawing from nature. I was sitting in this magical house and just working on the house, putting the house in order, bringing harmony, bringing beauty, bringing security, warmth, safety, wel welcoming in cats from here, there and everywhere, um, painting painting from the inside out, exploring what it is to occupy time without a structure and without a rigidity of any sort. And from there, I was able to step out into the world easier and easier. And I started to understand something about where this energy was coming from. Like, where is the energy coming from? It's coming from inside me, obviously, but it's coming from inside me <clears throat> in certain situations in which I am safe and in tune with my surroundings, with my neighbours, with the plants and trees and stones and water and elements outside of me, with the weather, with the community, with the, the architecture of the town, with the landscape underneath the architecture of the town and so on. There's a as things became activated within myself, 
they also seem to be <clears throat> activated in all things, in, in all directions and all quality of substance all around me. So it, it feels like that intimate relationship that I had when I sat down as a child and intuitively knew that the only thing that was going to help me was to sit down and draw very intensely um, from nature. But that little circuit that I opened between my hand, my eye, my imagination, my heart, my arms, my shoulders, um, the object in front of me, this beautiful lovemaking with this object, this little cutting from the, the um, oh, what was it? A, a Barbary tree, I think, Berberus, tiny little thorns, little tiny flowers, the rhododendron leaf, uh, a brown sycamore leaf in the winter, the rowan berries, like just taking a little snipping of something from the environment nearby, bringing it inside, sticking it in a little glass or sitting on a wee plate or on a on a surface on the top of my wee desk in my bedroom and having this little spotlight, a wee light, putting beautiful chiaroscuro on it, dark and light, chiaroscuro, and then just getting my wee pencils, my wee precious, precious pencils, opening up that cir circuit like a toroidal engine, like a free energy loop. It it was a very, <clears throat> the most basic form of opening up something within myself, starting like the, the faint echo of what wanted to express itself, what wants to really vibrantly be open, the full toroidal donut shape energy coming up the centre and down the sides and feeding itself and building and growing and um, expanding the energy. It was just the beginning of it, the tiny, tiny little um, taste of it, like a un asaccio, a, a wee, a wee taste of it, a tester. <laughs> but nevertheless, I think like anything that we really engage fully in our heart and our our full consciousness, something that that lets the the grasping uh, front lobe consciousness fall away, anything that we get fully engaged in, like if we're really passionate about cooking or gardening or walking in wild nature or wild swimming or playing in whatever way, um, something that involves delving into the intuitive and the whole being, it tricks us just enough in a good way. It tricks us just enough to, to stop, put a stop on the stop <laughs> to to release the catch that has kept us in a little tight loop of front lobe conscious chattering away all the time all day long and our tense preoccupation with not having enough in every sense not having enough energy time money space um love energy um yeah so all in all, um, what we're what we're taught into and um, coerced into is this sense of things being in lack and us 
lacking. And we can be in that and that can exist. Like that is a reality that exists. It's a, a reality that we have collectively constructed and agreed to and and subscribed to, bought into, uh, invested in. We can believe that and that that is the truth, that those limits are there, but only because we've created them and agreed to them or been coerced into them. At the very same time, a whole alternative reality exists right now, right here in us, where, and we have to move from one to the other. It's not like we can just suddenly, boom. Although some people do have a miraculous um, glimpse, glimpse, perhaps, through a, a profound window being opened or being facilitated by somebody with magical hands, perhaps, or possibly through a love relationship we might be suddenly transported into this better version of ourselves and into this expansive oneness of being when we're initially in love and before the, the shackles settle in again or when we move home and arrive in a warmer country perhaps or um, when we just go to a very special and sacred place or go through a, a very special or sacred workshop perhaps. We can get a glimpse of it, but bringing that um, freedom, sovereignty, expansiveness and energy down into the everyday is is a work. <laughs> it is work and um, it involves correcting our relationship with all things in all moments. And um, because so many people are invested in the in the lack, in the scarcity mindset, the scarcity paradigm, um, there's a lot of resistance and, in fact, a lot of denial and a lot of resentment around, you know, a person who has incarcerated themselves in scarcity their whole life. It's a very painful process to acknowledge that they have done so. And whether they have 20 years or 90 years, it's a, a very painful process to accept that we've done it to ourselves and that it wasn't nice and it didn't have to be nice that not nice rather <laughs> it didn't have to be like that that it could have actually been glorious and it could have been beautiful but instead we denied ourselves it and um, that's that's a very difficult thing to accept and to let go of uh, and rigidity the harder the rigidity is indoctrinated the more more fully it has been accepted and and lived as like the more fully all of our life force and time and attention have been put into that um then the more the more fully difficult it is to withdraw from that and to instead let go into the the expansiveness and work at unblocking work continuously at unblocking um do the work um the work can be um, very, very hard in terms of a process of letting go is um, the process of physically letting go of tension or of, of numbness, which is essentially tension, something being held. Um, it's very difficult because we don't know what's numb because it's numb. And 
when we start to feel again, it can feel like dying. It can feel like, uh, in my own experience, certainly I felt at many points, even recently, I felt that I was dying. It can bring up big symptoms. It can bring up symptoms of heart feeling like it's going to break open, like I'm going to have a heart attack or brain feeling like it's shutting down or it's doing something drastic or I'm going to have a stroke. It can feel like the the torso wants to crack open. The energetic body returning, feeling to the body can feel like a lot of drama, a lot of intensity. And because a person has been conditioned their whole life to depend on external authority to tell us that we're inherently flawed and that we're falling to bits all the time. Thus, it is very difficult to argue ourselves into positivity, to argue ourselves into trusting that the body is simply trying to express itself. Something much bigger, like a big open-winged butterfly, has been packed inside a chrysalis and it is trying to move from being all folded up in complex folds and squashed and packed neatly, very, very tightly and neatly. It, it has a very specific form of steps of cracking open the chrysalis and pulling itself out and peeling itself open and drying in the air. There's a very specific alchemical process of that happening. And it can't be made easier. It cannot be made easier. It can be effortless because it's just naturally what we need to do, but it, it can't be made. Um, like we can't have someone cut the chrysalis open for us um, because then we wouldn't be using the muscles that we need to strengthen in order to lift the wings, in order to have the body, which is fully open and expansive. Um, the darkness has to be brought to the light. There's a whole process of looking at things that are ugly and painful and that in itself is something that our whole reality is designed around hiding hiding from us and avoiding doing. So no matter what our symptom, we will go to a doctor and the doctor will give us a pharmaceutical remedy, in inverted commas, a pharmaceutical treatment that will in fact destroy the symptom. It'll push the symptoms further away, it'll push it to the side and will make it worse. That is what modern medicine does. It will make it worse. It will create another symptom, which is called a side effect. And it will take the usefulness of the original symptom, which was the body trying to express something, trying to get something from the inside to the outside and then release and dissipate it and let it go back into the, the co-creative ether. Instead, it will put a lid on it and the lid will get heavier and heavier. It will have to be heavier and heavier as time goes on because the symptom will call more and more. It will be leaching out the edges of the lid. The pot will be bubbling over. The symptom will demand and demand in a stronger and stronger voice to be seen, to be witnessed, to be let go of. And the, the more we're holding back, the more we're putting the lid on, the more chaos will ensue the more painful it will be for the lid to be blown off and all the pouring out of the bubbling liquids to, to express themselves um, to release, the more painful the release will be. Um, so again, I want to come back to uh, what the Sheila and the Sean and the Gig speaks to us about. And I'll put a couple of uh, images in this 
podcast post. You might, if you're listening to this podcast on another um, platform outside my website, you might have to go to the main website post or the post on um, the full blog post uh, on my hive.blog profile to get to the imagery. But if you look up Sheila Nagig, S-H-E-E-L-A, Na, N-A, Gig, G-I-G, you will find uh, these really fascinating old, old carvings, stone carvings. And if you look up like masculine version of Sheila Nagig or similar, a similar wording, uh, you'll find the male version too. What's so interesting about this is um, I've been looking at these shapes for some time and the the female form that I've been painting, I've painted the female much more than the male form and the female form in particular has led me to, just from that very early times of creating a circuit through my own hand and eye and mind and heart and imagination and energetic body and the calming of my body, the holistic well-being that I found from drawing at an early age, um, that this would be in my early teens, like maybe 12, 13 years old. All these years, all these decades I've been drawing and painting and gone deeper and deeper into that circuit and widened the circuit and gone deeper into my body and deeper into my being. I've got to the core of like, where is the core? The core is the womb or the the prostate or the testes or the pelvis or the the bowl of the pelvis, the holy grail, the the root chakra, the the rootedness of us sitting in our body, fully in our body, unblocked and unhindered. And the way to that has been through just very gently, mostly effortlessly, going inwards, just going inwards again and again, just asking again, just asking the question, what's there? What's deeper? What's going on further inside there? And eventually getting to the core. It's relatively easy to reach into the core because all roads lead there. When you start to look at like, what's the source? Where's that coming from? Where's that coming from? What's underneath that? What's what's through that? What's inside that? And I have gone through various specific uh, channels of work, as it were, doing specific de-armoring work, specific steaming work, pelvic steaming, specific herbs, specific plants that grow outside my house or that I'm intimately connected with, the nature of the plant, the character of the plant, the spirit of the plant. But ultimately, I'm doing the same thing that I've always been doing, which is drawing, drawing from the inside outwards, drawing from the outside inwards and creating this, not a vortex, what's it? Again, it's the toroidal thing that they, there's a whole model around that and a whole scientific explanation of that. But really, it's just a big energetic donut shape with the energy coming up the middle, down the sides and regenerating itself like when you look into the science of the cervix, there's very little science done around the cervix, but what little there is um, tells you that when it's functioning well, a healthy cervix will have, the the cells will move either up or down. I think it's a, an inverted toroidal form, which is coming from our consciousness down. So it is kind of, depends what, if you're standing on your head or not, whether it's up or down. But when you're looking from yourself, from your brain and your sense of self, which is kind of a detached sense of self because it's up in the brain and it's not in the whole body, body mind, spirit. 
one will observe one's cervix, one may observe one's cervix uh, looking downwards into it. So either way, uh, the energy is going down the insides or up the insides and down the outsides or up the inside the outsides. So either way it's moving, it's it's healthily regenerating. Cells will actually move down the insides and regenerate and become new and then move up the outsides or vice versa, whatever the thing is. It's a living, move, moving, self-generating, um, energy-creating, toroidal form. And that's at the centre of the woman, the centre of the womb-man, womb-an. <laughs> And the it's the microcosm of the macrocosm in the same way that our hands and feet and face are in a reflex, reflexology sense are like a map of our whole being in the macrocosm. So the microcosm of the cervix is like the macrocosm of the of the whole being or the that which is greater than the being which stretches out into the world, which is this toroidal I probably got the word wrong. It's just how I'm remembering it. Donut engine shape, free energy shape. Um, look into that to a free energy. So how does this relate to Sheila and Sean Nagig? The Sheila and Sean Nagigs, which I'm I'm revealing some paintings I've been commissioned to do, uh, not commissioned really, gifted to do. Um, it's a, a return gift. Um, I'm going through a phase of gifting paintings. And mostly I'm gifting paintings that I already have. I just gifted one in return to my beautiful friend who gifted me a stove and a winter supply of wood. My God, oh, the the beautiful abundance of folk having things that they don't need and gifting them to me because they know because I've quoted a need, I've said a need that I've got this tiny little stove and it's not really working for heating the home. <laughs> it's barely heating a, a square meter around it. it certainly isn't heating, heating the next room. And now I've got this beautiful beast of a stove <clears throat> with all these giant logs that are, I'm sit, actually sitting in the top back room, my little sanctuary room, um, where I'm also drying washing and the cat's on the little futon bed. And I'm cosied in here in the middle of the day when it's bloody freezing out and then whipping up a, a right old gales and uh, rain and sunshine, a right old wild autumn, late autumn day. But I'm sitting up here cosy as can be because the heat is... This room is in under the under the street, under the ground, directly into the mountain. The stove is billowing out such a heat that it's heating practically the whole house. Even the house is very sprawling and large. Um, so I gifted a painting, a beautiful painting, one of my favourite Vesca, uh, Vesca Pisces paintings about this energy, about the engine. And my friends gifted me this stove which is activating the house and warming up the whole house and getting all the dampness out the back of the house where it goes directly into the natural mountain and making my cats happy and healthy, relaxing me into my body, making me feel really vibrant and alive in the winter when usually I'm starting to feel a bit cranky at this time of the year. I'm a bit achy because I'm, I'm cold, you know, because I'm ultimately very, very cold as I'm sitting in my house. And the studio's cold in the winter and so on, and I can't afford to heat it. Um, so, yeah, the the freedom of exchange of painting. Um, so I gifted this painting in return, and I'm really happy to gift the painting. It feels like a wonderful enrichment and right relationship with painting and 
gifting and giving it to this person who's going to treasure it and enjoy it and share it with her guests and family and people who come in and out her house and her dogs and it's going to be like a, a beautiful light in the heart of her home and she's gifted me this activation of the hearth of my home it's it really couldn't be to me that couldn't it couldn't be a better relationship I'm really glad that I didn't have to sell the painting in a conventional sense with a huge amount of commission going to both fucking PayPal and fucking eBay or Etsy or whoever you know these huge corporations who are just feeding off artists paying them a big commission then translating the money into my bank and paying tax to the government and tax to my bank and blah 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 and charges there is no money there's no contract involved there's no money no contraction and the the rightness of that gift the right painting being chosen by the woman herself physically coming to my beautiful home which is now all cozy and active and she came in the doors and was saying oh wow this is really it's really cozy in here when she's in the the shared corridor she wasn't even in the house yet and I'm saying and why do you think that is because I've got a big activated building now because the the stove is like healing the whole building it's probably heating half the medieval quarter (laughs) so so yeah the painting is going to the right place and it's going to the right home and the stove is in the right home instead of sitting behind my friend's house getting rusty for another winter and the, the wood is getting all used in a most efficient way to bless my home and bless my body and my spirit and my energy and heat me up so I can actually paint more and create more paintings. Like how beautiful, uh, uh, in inverted commas, transaction is that. It's really powerful. So from that, I'm liberated more fully with the heat of the stove to paint more fully, whereas when I before... I'm cold, I'm in a sense of poverty, I'm struggling to stay healthy and well in the winter, uh, my system feels like it's closing down, my throat is hurting because I'm cold and I'm breathing in cold air, my neck is chilled. I'd be very susceptible before to infections because I'm I'm just on a low kilter, you know, like my I'm a low flow. <clears throat> Whereas waking up in a warm house is a very different thing. You know, I'm not scared to get out of bed in the morning. And because my body is comfortable, my energy is more powered up. My energy is more flowing. That's really, that's really significant. Um, because it means that I can paint more fully from my core. And I can paint more fully, like, what am I actually painting here? You know, my my first paintings when I was in my late teens and I started painting figuratively, openly, um, they were kind of ghostly shapes, little ghostly blobby shapes. They were very unformed, like unformed beings. And, and they were like ghosts. They were kind of like empty shapes. And the more I've got into painting from feeling and from just the absolute truth of what's going on in this very moment of the lifefulness that is living through me and the nature of my being that is living through me the paintings get truer and truer and the physicality gets unlocked so it's not such a formal presentation of a body the bodies that I've painted have gone through lots of different forms and sometimes they've been a bit more abstract sometimes they've got lots of color in the body 
sometimes they've got really big hands or hands that are actually like wings or like claws or like just much larger than usual <laughs> like big monkey hands um and that's that's really exciting and sometimes there there's like flames coming off the bodies and these are all they're all symbols or or forms of beingness that come out intuitively from the whole approach that are to me symbols of what our nature actually is and where the energy comes from and what the energy actually is it's like a fire it's like clouds and halos and as I delve into the imagery and delve into the feeling within myself I awaken more energy and activate more energy so again I, I, I keep touching on talking about Sheila and the gigs and Sean and the gigs but not quite getting to it and because this is this is the whole point of how hard it is to talk in conventional language about the core about the truth about the actual nature of the, the access to infinite free energy that we have with inside ourselves because it has been locked away and it is locked away just now but we live in this divine revelation time of divine revelation where the the truth and the freedom of it all is opening up and it is making itself known it is being revealed um and for those of us who are willing to let it be revealed through us, yes, we are. It, it's very challenging. It's very challenging because we have to go the whole way with it. We can't just go part of the way. But also we know that even just touching on these subjects, in fact, the more we're just slightly touching on the subject of sovereignty, freedom, free energy, real health a real health like what is our real vitality and power and energy the more lightly we're touching on it the more we're trying to skirt around the edges of it the more likely we are to get oppressed fined blocked censored punched <laughs> whatever whereas when we actually go into the core of it the the, the act of going into the core, the act of going into our deepest self and our truth is the, the powerful energetic force which will build up our toroidal aura, perhaps. It's, aura just sounds fluffy and vague, and, vague and, and subtle, but I'm not talking about a subtle force. I'm talking about a really fucking powerful force that actually will protect us and protect ourselves and build up the energy and inspire the people that it touches or even unlock the people that it touches or unlock the folk around by the very power of it being so true. In the same way that a person in their fully in their sovereignty, not in contraction, not in fear, not cowering and apologetic, not, not afraid to use their voice in, in the right way, will very easily be able to navigate even a, a very aggressive authority in front, standing in front of them, telling them to put on a mask or present a document that proves that they've had a jib jab. Um, a person in their, in their true sovereignty will have possibly the sass, the vitality, the joy sparkling in their eyes, the humour, the subtle, creative intelligence the creative genius to to navigate that 
very specific moment with the living man or woman in front of them that that won't offend the living man or woman, won't diminish them, but will lift them up as well, give them love and light and power and truth as well and liberate them because they know that they're doing something wrong. Some part of them knows, absolutely knows, no matter what they've been indoctrinated to do, no matter what they've been taught or forced into their brain or brainwashed or paid, you know, what, no matter what they're prost prostituting themselves to, they know that this is wrong, that you cannot charge a person money for breathing and you cannot charge them money for being a healthy person <laughs> and being free. And you can also cannot restrict their freedom. They know that. They might try and the conditioning might force them to get the words out and say, you must do this, you must do that, go back home and get your mask, do this, do that. But they know that that's wrong. They know that it's not correct. It's not right. And, that, and they want it to be corrected. Part of them, the deeper part of them that maybe is locked away behind, behind some armouring, locked away in, in the core of their body, locked away in a part that has been shamed by their own upbringing or that has been tortured effectively out of them. It, it's not out of them, it's in them. It's in them. And as long as we can speak core to core, my activated core will always switch on your activated core. And it will, it will activate anyone else's core who is in the vicinity. And the more I go into my core, the more I go into my torso, my pelvis, not even, it doesn't even have to be, start with that. It might start with like a really stiff elbow that I've got. The more I go into it, the more I, I love it and accept it as it's bringing me a message. You know, it's it's unlocking something in me. It wants to express something. I had a whole journey this month. In fact, I've had a couple of very interesting health journeys, uh, some unlocking of deep, deep trauma that in, in a previous part of my life, I would have really struggled to contend with, to face, to hold space for in myself, to hold space for. I would have been fixated on the symptom rather than on the treasure that the symptom is carrying to me. And I would have been um, so focused on that that I wouldn't have been able to see that the symptom was actually trying to expand into something else and gift me something. But yeah, I've had a, a couple of beautiful provings this month where I've proved to myself yet again that if I just observe and observe and listen and occupy and go into every symptom that I have, every pain, every stiffness or rigidity in my body, it just wants to teach me something. It wants to release something, not even teaching, that's a bit sort of hierarchical and rigid, but it wants to release something. And whatever I'm releasing in the externals of the body, in my feet, and my little itchy toe and in my hand with this um, flaring up of a scar, a scar that I had years and years ago when a needle was trapped inside my hand for some months. Bizarre, bizarre accident that was. When I didn't know it had gone in there and I thought there was something wrong with my thumb. The trauma that's kept in there isn't just a physical trauma of a needle going inside the hand. And being stuck in there and me having trouble moving my hand, it's not a physical thing. It's the mental process that went on in the moment that the needle went into my hand. I couldn't see 
that a needle had gone inside my hand. I couldn't fathom, I couldn't understand why was there a needle inside my hand. In my head and in my separated head from body, I had reached out and stretched my hand across the rug and relaxed and was having a beautiful big stretch. And suddenly, as I ran my hand across the ground, like my hand perfectly allowed this needle to go right inside it. The most bizarre accident, the most bizarre thing that could ever happen. And um, I couldn't see any hole. And it took three months for the needle to be rejected by the body to simply flow out of my body, like just lift itself out. A little hole opened up on the other side of my hand, on the outside of my hand, and the needle like fell out one day effectively, or it was half sticking out when I I was holding my wee sister when she was a wee baby and, and lifted my hand up and was like, holy fuck there's a big rusty needle sticking halfway out my hand and I just pulled the rest of it out, very uncomfortable. But the body had totally opened up away. It like just opened up. There was a foreign object in it. It had gone rusty, but the body had contained it, contained it all. I didn't get a tetanus shot. I had a fully rusted needle inside my hand for three months. I didn't get a tetanus shot, didn't get sick after it. The body just opened up a passage, like opened up a hole so it could just fall out by itself. I mean, that... Is really powerful. But the thing that's even more interesting is that, you know, 30 whatever plus years later, I'm holding my hand on this, this scar that I have and I'm feeling something come through, which is that back when I was 11, 12 or so years old, when this happened, the the process that was going on in my head, the process of separation, trauma, fear, fear about my body, fear of being punished was very, very significant. There was a whole series of thoughts that went through my head at that time that this is one of the few times I was had, having a, a relatively free, comfortable energy flowing in my body, like my whole body. I'd probably just been drawing for a long period and it was quite unusual for me to lay down pleasurefully and lie down and stretch my hands out. And I was stretching them in this very specific way of like in a big cross shape, you know, be feeling really open and free as a small child, you know, as a young, you know, younger than my teens. And in that very moment, this pain came into my hand and I could not understand. It just summarized to me everything, everything that was so very wrong that was going on around me in the world that I was being punished for relaxing I was being punished for being in my body. I was being punished for enjoying my body. I was being punished. I was like inherently bad and deserved to be like physically hurt. Very literally in the same moment that I was enjoying my body, that something was profoundly, something presented itself in that moment that symbolized for me everything else that was going on around me. and. At the age of 48, you know, all these years later, I'm feeling the trauma of that coming to the surface where I'm holding my finger on it and the pain that some trauma that was in the origin of that trauma had all also caused this very painful elbow. I've had an extreme painful elbow for about four months and the pain is like extreme, like excruciating, crying out loud pain. Um, it seems to jump up in bizarre places and it's very hard for me to use my left arm and, and hand. 
um, because it's like to do with tendon. It's a really deep pain. It's inside the tendon. It's some kind of toxicity and inflammation in the, the actual joint. And um, yeah, the things that have released and the emotion that's released through expressing this and allowing the body to express it and also accept that recognizing that um there's a lot more I can go into about this but um how time the timeline has been concertina because this trauma is tied into an older trauma and the pain in my elbow is tied into an older pain and it's literally keeping my energetic body in a concertina pattern which is similar to the concertinaing of like holding trauma from the past and concert concertinaing um time the timeline whereas I can feel it unpopping just now like poppers we're holding these timelines in a concertina shape in a piegato what do you say um like folded in on itself and folded lots of different ways and maybe that's similar to you know, maybe this this phase like the butterfly's wing being all folded in and piegato on itself, like where it's all crumpled and folded, but it's very, very specifically crumpled in certain points, very specific points. There's probably some sacred geometry in there. There's some mirroring and interconnectedness and multidimensional echoes of the original trauma, which goes way back to the birth process, the aggressive torturing of mother and child during the birth process and so on but the the unfolding of it ultimate ultimately reverberates through the whole being and this is one of the reasons why the the shonnagig and the shilinagig are so such important symbols and the shonnagig is actually a commissioned well a gift piece because uh one of my beautiful beautiful supporters has gifted me on multiple times has treated me gifted me um given me cash in hand like coins notes in my hand that I can actually subsist buy food pay for my cats sterilization do such things um and I want to gift her a painting in return so any painting and she has a choice of quite a few paintings I've got in the house at the same time we had this big deep conversation over some glasses of wine at the bar uh, a couple of weeks ago and and we were talking about Sheila Nagig and Sean Nagig and the nature of these symbols these very old symbols that have been carved into church I think above doorways or inside churches these secret symbols that are conveying something in the sacred church space never mind all this rigidity of church and all of that stuff um but the the Sheila and the Sean the gigs are very specifically communicating something and, and my friend was so excited by me describing this how I've been painting the Sheila and the gig and how I wanted to do a Sean the gig and she was saying oh, that's that's the painting for me that is the painting the masculine the sacred masculine the masculine in a loop with himself um, I don't want to say too much about the, the specifics of the Shonnagig because it is like, it's sacred, secret symbolism. But it is to do with the masculine creating, a, again, a circuit within the self and his lingam, his power being in his lingam and his pelvis and that power being released from the shackles, released from the shaming, 
released from the weaponization and being filled with love and consciousness. And that consciousness in turn being cycled in and recycled into the body, harvested into the body and the mind in particular, and thus freed and a loophole being created like an engine in the masculine. So the symbol that I'm creating, <clears throat> the, the symbol that is popped up across time in um, sacred places, in terms of the masculine Sheila Nagig, the Sean Nagig, as me and my friends have, have sort of named him, um, is very much to do with like the physical... closing of a circle between the masculine and his penis, his lingam and his mouth. And that is a very specific concept, which also is, I, I feel is quite entangled with the masculine is already very lost in self-pleasure and lost in peak orgasm and the, the vicious cycle of losing his energy that way. And that feels like, you know, maybe in lots of ways, maybe the him putting his lingam in his mouth is like breaking that and and closing the circle with it. But maybe it's also, it's both and basically. But the liberation aspect of it is the fact that he's taking the, the nutriment of what he's losing through spending his seed through a peak orgasm and bringing it back inside his body. And that's a really interesting concept that, that, ancient cultures have explored like the Taoist culture and the tantric culture of men not losing their seed when they ejaculate <clears throat> and similarly um the feminine the feminine uh, equivalent of that is a woman not losing her energy through her bleeding but the sheila nagig uh, in contrast to the Sean gig, is is quite a different dynamic. Whereas the masculine is forming a loop with his own physical being and his power and his ejaculate and is going in being ingested instead of being outgested <laughs> or expressed. The feminine instead is is this image of the sh oops the Sheila gig has got her big hands inside a massive vagina and she's like pulling her vagina open and for whatever reason like the the image that I've always seen of the old stone carving hasn't had this detail in it but I've always just assumed that the universe is inside her vagina and the universe is being exposed by her lifting like pulling wide pulling the the vagina wide and <clears throat> I think for many again you know I'm, I'm this is quite a long podcast and I'm getting to the end of it, but I, I'm just getting to the beginning of it because this is just like the, you know, barely, barely touching on these subjects. But I just, I want to get to an aspect of this, like what the feminine is opening there and what, what is actually going on there. Um, the Sean Nagig that I'm painting right now, which I'm going to show a detail of in the podcast, but in the blog post on my website, but I don't want to go into the, the full detail of because I want to, I want to show it in a private space and I'm going to show it in my Patreon and I want to talk about it in a protected space. I do not want to expose it to the perversions of the mainstream and the the distortions that are projected onto the body. 
the unlocking of the true sacredness of the body is a very difficult thing to discuss in the in the context of so many people being so deeply damaged and distorted in their own bodies and their own I don't like using the word sexuality because it sexuality is is a very distorted term it it basically boxes and labels a thing an aspect of ourselves that is the core and the energy and the source and our portal into source but it boxes it in a way that the box has to be locked and kept locked and hidden and there's also a great amount of shaming and forbiddenness and criminalization of our sexuality when really our sexuality is our vitality and our health our health it's just that the the tools of our sexuality as it were the engine of our sexuality has been turned into a mechanism and labeled and commodified and distorted horribly basically into weaponized damaging activities which are are conventionally called sex when really the lovemaking the true lovemaking that our body mind spirit is designed for and meant for and is coming into the fruition of beingness around right now in this time in the earth and that the Sheila and Sean Nagig's hint at you know they just give a very small hint about the real divine purpose and nature of our body is to make energy and make love to bring all things into vibration of love and we have the capacity to do that. Our bodies have the capacity to do that through ecstatic birth, through bringing new spirit into body, in through birthing vaginally and ecstatically, through actually making love in the conventional sex sense, but not in the frictional peak orgasm bondage, horrendously fucked up, distorted, vampire slavery of conventional relationships. But in in the real lovemaking that we probably all have had a glimpse of, at least in our lifetime, or had um maybe had a, a, a real a real um immersion in through a beautiful relationship, through sacred sex through tantric union with another being but most of us that's something it's hidden it's hidden and not talked about and it's kept in a container of a bedroom and a bed and the nighttime or the certainly the energy of that is not allowed to get out like we're not allowed to give any hint of it or um sparkle in our eye or sassiness or beautiful sexuality you know sexiness or or um vitality you know we have to keep the vitality literally locked up and that that is the problem that is the problem <laughs> the, the keeping of it locked up i'm not trying to say that we all need to walk about naked in the streets or anywhere I'm not saying that we need to make love in the open. 
But that vitality most fucking certainly needs to be out in the world and needs to be unlocked if we're going to actually survive as a species (laughs) and if we're actually going to be well and healthy. The whole point of our vitality is to make love, to make symbiotic interrelationship with everything in the world, not to go around fucking things or having penetrative sex, but the fucking and the penetrative sex, that's the problem with that, is that there, there is like the taste of the union, but the union is something that should be reverberating into all things. And if it was unlocked and if it was shared, the wisdom around this was shared um, in an innocent way, in a beautiful way, in a non-aggressive and in a, a truly liberating way, if we were able to understand how our core energy, we can't just unlock our core energy just like that, just grab a key and unlock it. We can't. It's a very subtle process of as I release my elbow, as I release this scar on my hand, it allows things to flow up through my body. It can't flow up from core until I've got that released. And it can't flow up through my womb until my womb has been de-armoured. It can't flow through my cervix until my cervix has been de-armoured. The energy um, has to be liberated personally and by degrees and gently and effortlessly um, anywhere that it anywhere that it's being forced in one way, just in, similarly to how we are going to move back into natural law and a way out of this perverted oppression of everything kind of law um, that is being imposed and tyrannised on the people right now through death and destruction and medicalization of folk and all the rest of it and restrictions and brutality. We are moving into natural law. We can move into natural law, but it has to be done not just one step at a time, but one piece at a time, one like like with the body. Wherever the energy is blocked, it has to be unblocked first. It can't just magically flow. It can miraculously flow, but the miracle can only come about through willingness, through timeliness through the right season through the converging the perfect storm of right time person being in the right place saying the right word being courageous to dare to expose themselves and be witnessed in their true nature which is this beauty and vitality and love and genuinely meeting um there's a lot of friction and suffering that has been going on for a long time and will continue to go on At the same time, it's all leading, you know, even friction on friction, even hate on hate, it's all leading towards that hate being released, expressed, released. If we can hold space for each other, if we can even stand in front of the tyrant who's waving a baton or a a gun even and, and meet him there and love him stand in front of him and absolutely love him and make love with him, not fucking a policeman in the street, that would be silly, but standing in front of him and reaching into his consciousness and knowing that we have the power not to flip and manipulate or pull and push on his consciousness, consciousness, not to be in contract with his mind, not to domineer him, not to 
force him to calm the fuck down. But just standing in front of him and reflecting back to him, letting him witness our vulnerability and our strength and our truth and our absolute knowing that we're sovereign, our absolute knowing of vitality rising up through us and giving him energy, giving him courage, giving him heart, giving him openness, giving him expansion. Um, it's complex, eh? But it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And again, coming back to the Sheila and Sean the gig, these are these are aspects that have come from. They're aspects of humanity of of the inherent male and the inherent female that have come through wise hands through the many generations of women who have always birthed orgasmically, there have always been women birthing orgasmically, no matter what shame has been put on, no matter what fear, what willies have been put up women to give them the fear of God about birthing. But women have always birthed orgasmically and naturally and spontaneously and intuitively, instinctively and successfully, very successfully. It's an absolute mythology that there's all this people dying because they can't they don't know how to birth and and the baby's head being too big it's just an absolute mythology the bigger the baby's head the more you have to get into orgasmic birth that's the fact of it um there's there's so much more i i know the conversation around that is really intense and it's really dense and how do i actually relax my pelvis how do i actually let go of trauma in my body but on that subject I warmly welcome you to come to my open painting sessions where we're very, very gently and effortlessly beginning that momentum and beginning that process and stepping into it collectively, not just working on our own, but stepping into the power of what we can release when we step into a, a collective free space where we all see each other as sovereign we're not coercing or directing or teaching each other. We're simply sitting in truth and painting into being. And that's a way to do it. That's a way to do it. Just painting spontaneously and without any mental interference, without any need to interfere mentally and direct or push just letting the thing come and and come and come and come into being. Um, you're most welcome. The next session we'll be having after this podcast gets published will be Wednesday, the 1st of the month. And I'm doing two sessions again on the 1st of the month. One at 10 a.m. Rome, Central European time. And one at 5 p.m. Rome, Central European time again. Um, you're most most welcome if you love this podcast if you're interested in what you're you're hearing please do follow me you can follow me on the hive.blog you can follow me on my website um whatartisfor.com or clairegalloway.com clear without an i no i irish spelling please or you can support me on Patreon where I will be revealing the Sean Nagig and the Sheila Nagigs. I haven't really shared them much. I share them, I share all the art that I'm working on on my Patreon lens, which is actually like a little 24 hour um, photo visibility snapshots. 
from my studio I do share that and I think that's open publicly I think you can share if you follow me on Patreon um, Claire Galloway on Patreon you'll you'll see them but um, the the post that I'm going to share with the Shauna gigs in it I'll share on my website blog the detail but I'll share the actual paintings in the process and talk a bit more about it behind the scenes in in the Patreon because I don't again I'm not sharing this publicly it's it's not the kind of imagery that people can deal with because there is so much trauma and um, reaction to human nature expressing itself naturally right now there's a lot of um, very hard aggressive energy against that and it's really not I'm not exposing myself in the into that um certainly not so um these will be very very privately shown and protected as well protected the sacredness of them needs to be protected the truth of them needs to be protected so for that reason i i definitely will have them behind i don't consider it a paywall but it is if you want to support me on um patreon the very few posts that i share that are private um this will be one of them and you can to get access to it you will um be have to actually subscribe and pay a donation every month which is a very beautiful way for me to get a stable income I've got a small income through there just now and it's absolute um life-saving and life-enhancing and helps me do some of the really basic things like feed my cats and feed myself and um get fuel for my fire and so on so blessings on you and blessings on my supporters at it's a, really every every dollar, every cent, every centesimo and every penny makes a, a huge difference there. And you can pay in dollars, American dollars, British, sterling or European euros now if you want to sign up on Patreon. You're most welcome. Um, I look forward to talking more about these amazing subjects as, as these subjects open up and... Um, Blessings on your health and your vitality and your core and everything that's unblocking right now. And well done to everyone who's doing this work. It's the work that the world needs. And it's a a very exciting, dynamic world that we live in right now. Oh my gosh, yes it is. Blessings on you all. Ciao. Much, much love. I love you and speak soon. Ciao.